This morning, I want to take some time just to talk with you about what it means to trust Jesus. Now, that sounds very simple, but um, and, and, and in our minds, we go, okay, yeah, yeah, I, I could probably trust Jesus, but trusting Jesus in every aspect of our lives is probably one of the most challenging things that I face in the life of a believer. Trusting Jesus not just in, in easy situations, but in every situation. You see, life really is about who I can trust. Experts tell us that most of us have less than five people that we can completely trust with everything in our lives. And if you begin to think about it, you begin to think about your friends and your family, and you think about the most intimate, secret thing that you would tell someone, the list that you would share that with, that you would trust that in someone else's life, to, to keep close, to, to not only pray for you, but not to share it, that list is pretty slim in most of our worlds. Just a handful of people. And in my life, it's maybe two or three people that I really trust that much. So if we're honest, we see people and we're judging them about, can, can, I, can I trust you? Can I, can I share my life with you? Because there's nothing like sharing something with someone, hoping it's going to stay just between us, and then to find out that they have taken that information and done something else with it. And that hurt, it, it goes deep. And so for some of us in, in, in this room this morning, you're, you're dealing with trust issues. There's people who have, who have hurt you, who, who, have, who have put your life in, in jeopardy in your mind with the information that you shared with them. And so there's some people in this room who, who live lives of uncertainty. And, and you, you, some of you have serious trust issues, like you don't want to trust anybody anymore. And some of you are overly controlling, and I want you to know that if you're overly controlling, you have trust issues. Because you, you don't want to let anybody be in control of you, and so you want to control everything else. And then there's some of you who just want to live life with absolutely no risk, and so you're not going to step out in any way, in any way of faith, of seeing something that you can't control, and, and so, so you just hide away, and you miss some of the greatest things in life. Today I want you to hear that no matter who you are, or what you're dealing with, or what your experience in life is, or, or, or where, where you're... Uh, your life is in the area of trust, I want you to know one thing is true. Not because I have said it, but because God's Word has said it, and it's proven itself over the entire creation of this world, and that is that you can trust Jesus. You can trust Him. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to betray you. He's never going to do anything that's going to embarrass you. He's never going to take something that you have shared with Him and, and use it in a way to manipulate you or to turn it against you, but you can trust Jesus. And the story we're going to look at this morning in Matthew chapter 14 is a story just about that. It's about trusting Jesus. You, you may have heard it, you may not, but you're going to be blown away by the events that happen in this passage. So look with me, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew is in the second half of your Bible. The Bible's divided up into two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. If you don't know where Matthew is, it's really cool to look in the front and, and find the table of contents. That's what it's there for. So nobody's going to uh, embarrass you and say, hey, you should know that. So, so look it up, find it, and let's, let's look at it together. Matthew chapter 14, <clears throat> beginning in verse 22. It says, immediately he, Jesus, 
made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And, began to, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took a hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, just to give you a little background into Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is in the, in the crux of his, his earthly ministry. He, he's really, it's begun to kick up. There's, there are people who are following him. Jesus has begun to perform miracles. He's healing people. He's turning water into wine. He's, he's speaking, and, and everybody wants to be around him. And some people are probably there. They think they're going to see something they've never seen before, but there really is a movement that's beginning to happen. And so Jesus, in, in this moment, is being followed by these people. And, and what you don't see in, in preceding verse 20, uh, this story is also told, parts of it are told in several of the other books in the New Testament. In the Gospel of John chapter 6, it says that there were some people who were trying to put Jesus into uh, power. They wanted to make him king. You see, there was this misconception that the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be this military conqueror that would come to earth and literally would overtake the whole world in a military conquest. And so they begin to follow Jesus, and he's doing all these amazing things. And there's this group of people that are spoken of in John chapter 6, and you can go read it later. But, but they're saying, uh, Jesus, we, we want to put you in, into power. We want to give you the opportunity to do what we think you should do. And so we jump into verse 22, and what happens in that moment is that Jesus says, I'm not about that. And so he tells the disciples, you guys get in the boat, get out of here. I'm going to dismiss the crowd. And I'm going to go and pray. And so that's what happens in, in verse 22. There's also some things going on emotionally in Jesus' life. If you look up in the preceding verses in chapter 14, John the Baptist, who was the, who was the man who God sent to say, Jesus Christ is the Messiah and he is coming, he's been executed, beheaded for his faith by Herod, in a really twisted Jerry Springer type of situation where uh, the king said, ask his daughter, what do you want? I'll give you anything. The head of John the Baptist, and he brings the head of John the Baptist in on a platter. Very horrible. And so Jesus seemingly is, is grieving that. But there's also this moment that, that you may have heard of where Jesus performs this incredible miracle. <laughs> so... 
all these people are following Jesus, and, and he stops, and, and they, 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 all, they all hang out, and, and there's like, this, the scripture says there's 5,000 men. Now, don't be offended, women. There's this cultural thing where they didn't count women as much. But experts tell us that if there were 5,000 men, each guy's probably got a lady. They probably got a couple of kids on average. So there's somewhere between 15 and 25,000 people in the crowd. And Jesus speaks to them for a little bit, and then uh, instead of sending them away, he goes, hey, uh, let's, let's feed them. And the disciples are like, dude, what, what are you talking about? How, we, it's not like we got this, this food truck out back that can feed 20,000 people. He said, well, what do you have? And they said, well, we got this kid. He's got a Happy Meal. He's got, he's got two biscuits and, uh, uh, and, excuse me, he's got five biscuits and he's got two trout, and, and that's all we have. And Jesus said, okay, bring it to me. And he blesses it, and he turns this Happy Meal into a buffet. And everybody eats, and when they're done, they collect 12 baskets full of leftovers to, for everybody to have a to-go box to go home. I mean, it's this incredible, miraculous thing that happens because Jesus blessed it and did this miracle. And so this is kind of where we sit. There's this miracle that has happened, and Jesus is overwhelmed by the moment, and he's going to go and pray. So in verse 22 and 23, he, he sends the disciples out. They get in the boat. They're going to go to the other side of this lake. It's about a five-mile trip. So he sends them ahead, and he goes up into the mountain and pray. And I just want to take a, take a second out of this this passage and show you the character of Jesus. If you begin to study the life of Jesus over and over and over and over again, Jesus chooses prayer over everything. Why? Because it's his connection to the Heavenly Father. And this isn't like a, uh, a short prayer, okay? The timeline tells us that about the time that Jesus went up on the mountain to pray was sometime in the evening. We're going to catch up with him in about nine hours. So it was more than now I lay me down to sleep type of prayer. It was more than, Jesus blessed my day, here's my list of stuff. Jesus was in communication in a time of prayer for probably somewhere between 9 and 10 hours. The character of Jesus. So the disciples hop in the boat. Verse 24 tells us that there is a storm that arose. So the geography of that place this lake was very, very much known for um, storms that would arise almost immediately. And, and so they're, they're, these guys are supposed to make just a quick trip across the lake to this other place, and they get caught in a storm. So the, the thing that you've got to remember is who's in the boat, the disciples. Now, I don't know if you know who Jesus' disciples were. Sometimes we think Jesus' disciples, man, he must have had like the cream of the crop. I mean, half these guys would not have passed a background check to work with our kids this morning, okay? They're that kind of guy. Some of them are fishermen. Most of them probably had a record. I mean, they knew the local police. I mean, they, they, were, they were rough guys. Jesus called them out of their life of sin into a life of following him. So if you're here this morning and your, your, your past is something you don't want to like talk about publicly in here, you could be a disciple. So that should give you encouragement. It doesn't mean. And so, but... In the boat, most of these guys, almost uh, over half of them, were fishermen. So they're on this boat, and, and they know what it's like to be in a storm, okay? So it's not something that had never happened before. It's not like you put four city boys into a canoe and don't know what's going to happen. These guys knew what it meant to be on the sea, to be on the water. But if you look, the, the storm comes up, 
And they're freaking out. I mean, they're, they're like, they don't know what to do. They've been on the sea for probably nine, ten hours, trying to go five miles, and they hadn't even made it halfway yet. And I, I love the language here, so I'm a pretty simple guy, but, but as I, I read this, there, there's some cool things that happen in verse 24. So it says they've been on, in the boat. Jesus is uh, ready to catch up to them. And, be, you know, when, when you're Jesus, you can do whatever you want, right? So most of us would have to wait for the next boat. What does Jesus do? He walks on the water. Now, I don't know about you. I've never walked on the water. I've done a little skiing. If you look at me, I don't like float really easily. So, I mean, it's not like I just get across the water with great ease. So we've got to have a big boat, and it's got to pull me really fast. But so Jesus, he's not waiting on a boat. What's he do? Hey, I'm going to catch up with the disciples. They look like they're in trouble. I'm going to walk on the water. Like, you know, I would never think about that. So, but, but, so it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. They've been out there, and, and this storm is coming up, and they, they see Jesus, and they're stressed out. They've been working, trying to get to the place they're going. And it says, I love it, it says that they're terrified. So these are like manly men, okay? These are like, they got beards and, you know, beards, like some of you guys are growing your beards and rubbing stuff in it. I don't understand all that stuff. But... <laughs> So, so, but I mean, these are like, these are not like preppy men who've never held an axe. These are like manly men. And it says they are freaking out. And so, so they see Jesus walking on the sea and they say, it's a ghost. And look, look at what your Bible says. It says they cried out in fear. Ah! I mean, they're like, these, these are like big burly men. And I just see them screaming like a bunch of junior high girls. I mean, that's, that's kind of how I envisioned it in my mind. Because, and, and, you know, it's not like, a, Ugh, I think there's a ghost, we should do something. They're like screaming, scared, freaked out. That's, that's the emotion of the moment. And so, but there, there's something that happens here that helps in that moment. Have you, have you ever been in that place when you know you should not be scared, but you're freaking out? Some of you came in with that today. Some of you, nobody else knows it, because if, if we can be honest, Sometimes when we come to church, we're a bunch of liars. I'm not going to ask for any hands, okay? But sometimes we come in, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How's your week? Man, it was great. It was really great. Liar. I mean, you like fought on the way to church with your wife. Uh, you, your, your job stinks and, and you don't know what's going to happen. Your, your financial life is in a mess. You have this relationship issue with somebody. I mean, and we come in and we pretend like, Everything's okay when it's really not. Listen, so, so in that moment, when they see Jesus and they're screaming like little girls in the boat, Jesus said, what? Take heart, it is I. Now, don't miss this. If you underline stuff in your Bible, you need to underline that phrase because there is an Old Testament reference here that just has the sound of something other than just this moment. So if you understand who Jesus is. Jesus is the Son of God. God created the world. He's been in existence for, for all of time, and Jesus it, it was, was there at creation. And if you begin to look back in the Old Testament into some of the stories where God began to set up who He was to identify His place in, in authority, and we look back to a story in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is, is talking with God, and God is challenging him to be a leader, to lead His people, 
Moses is like, God, I know you want me to do this big thing, but, but who do I tell people that sent me? And, and he says, well, tell them the, the God of your fathers. But, but what if they ask me his name? And he says this phrase, I am who I am. And that sounds really repetitive. But if you look back in the original language, what it says is, I am. Like, that's all you need. So in this moment when Jesus says, take heart, it is I. It has the flavor of I am who I am. In other words, there, there is no other question you need to ask. There is no other name you need to say. It's me. And so Jesus in that moment sets up his authority. These Jewish men in the boat could hear the language of the God of all creation saying, I am who I am. And he, then he says the words that I love. He says, do not be afraid. Now, up to this point, they had not accomplished that, okay? I mean, they're stressed out. The storm has kept them from moving, had gotten worse and worse, and they didn't know what to do. And you can imagine, let's just say there's a dozen people on this boat. Can you imagine how many different plans of how to fix this there was? I mean, I don't know if you've ever worked on a committee, but when you get over two people, there's a lot of different plans, right? And usually we're not working together, and somebody's got this weird plan that they want to do that doesn't make any sense, and it makes perfect sense to them. And you're like going, dude, I don't think we should do that. And, and then you got one guy who's just wild and crazy, and he wants to try something stupid and reckless. And, and then you got this one guy who doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to take any risk. And so if you can imagine, for the last nine hours, they've been in that place in the boat. And Jesus says, do not, do not be afraid. But trust me. And so the crazy guy speaks up. I, I love Peter because Peter is just a hillbilly redneck. I mean, he, he's, just a, he's just a guy who, if you just study his life, he does great things for the kingdom because God uses him in spite of himself. But dude, he's like a, he's like a wreck looking for a place to happen. I mean, he just always says the wrong thing at the wrong time. He always does the wrong thing. I mean, Jesus is getting arrested and he whacks off the ear of one of the guards and Jesus said, listen, we're not trying to start a revolt. And he put your knife up, you know, put your sword up. That, that's who Peter is. And so crazy Peter... He says in verse 28, Lord, so he recognizes who Jesus is. He said, Lord, if it is you, then command me to come to you on the water. Now, here's my guess. If there's a dozen people on the boat, there's only one dude who's thinking, I'm going to come and walk on the water to you. I mean, they just scream like little girls. Peter's the only one who says, Lord, if it's you, I want to come to you. We're going to come back to that in just a second. But you see, verse, verse 29 is a game changer for P Peter because no one else saw what he saw. Don't miss that. No one else saw what Peter saw. No one else gets this story to tell in the future. No one else took this chance. No one else was brave enough. What do, what do you think when Peter said that? Lord, if it's you, then command me to come to you on the water. Can you imagine what's going on in the boat? Peter, what, what in the world are you doing? Walk in the water. We're, we're not Jesus. We can't walk on the water. Don't get out of the boat. You know what happens when people get out of the boat in a the storm? They drowned. What, what, what are you thinking? 
You're nuts, man. You're crazy. Don't do this. Focus on, focus on the problem. In the boat, this is safety. We're all still alive. We've been out here for a long time, but everybody's still here. And so he begins to take a risk that nobody else was thinking about taking. Have you ever been in the boat with other people? If you've ever been in the boat with someone else, you know that what they do affects you. Especially if you've been in a canoe. Anybody ever been in a two-man canoe? And you were connected to whoever's in that canoe with you. Okay, I love my wife. We've been married 24 years, but man, she's not great in a canoe. I'll just tell you. Because if she leans too far one way, what's going to happen? We're, if I don't help control it, we're going to all get a little wet. Okay? Right? And so if you're in the boat with other people, what they do affect you. The decisions that they make affect you. And so no matter how big or how stable the boat is, what happens is what everybody else does in that boat affects you. And so Peter is going, hey, I got all these other people. And they're probably screaming in his ear. Hey, man, don't, don't, don't go. Don't, don't, don't do this. We can come up with another plan. Let's just watch Jesus, and if it's really him, he'll be here in just a minute. Maybe he'll perform a miracle. He's calmed the seas before. Uh, earlier in Matthew, we see that story. Maybe he'll do that again. So just stay here. And so what happens in the boat often affects us. So if somebody wants to start a problem, they want to start a mutiny, and the guy who's been the captain, we want to throw him uh, out of power and take over the boat, it can become problematic if somebody, I don't mean to get gross, but I mean, if somebody pukes in the boat, guess what? You're all invested in that, right? So what happens in the boat affects you. And here's what concerns me. If we're not careful... Other people can rob us from the God moments that God wants to do in our lives because we listen to the people in the boat instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus. But in this moment, man, Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He says, come on, get out of the boat. You see, we're limited. My guess is that none of you have ever walked on water and like, skidding across the water at 60 miles an hour doesn't count most of us have never even seen anything close to that but God's not limited to do what we do God can do whatever he wants to do if he wants to heal the sick if he wants to raise the dead if he wants to give sight to the blind if he wants to take a happy meal and turn it into a buffet God can do whatever he wants to do he's in control of the whole universe he can stop the sun from shining he can he can cause the day to be longer he can do whatever he wants to do and so when Jesus says come guess what Peter had permission to do what was physically impossible by himself so Peter did what Jesus said he got out of the boat and he walked on the water. When he did, where did he go? Look in your Bible. Where did he go? What does your Bible say? To Jesus. Peter didn't hop out of the boat and like run around the boat seven times, okay? It's not that story, okay? He, he didn't like start kicking his leg and, you know, performing some sort of act. What did he do? He came to Jesus. Look at verse 30. But, and this is where we can get really critical. (laughs) This is where we can go, oh, here's crazy Peter. He hopped out of the boat, but he took his eyes off of Jesus. It says, when he saw the wind, when he saw the waves, he began to sink. 
There was a change of focus and direction by Peter. And when that happened, he began to sink. Not because the the storm got worse, not because uh, Peter uh, didn't, he, he weighed too much or he was physically doing something wrong. The only problem that Peter had was the moment that he took his eyes off of Jesus. And in that moment, he began to look at the wind and the waves around him and figured out, this is a place I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> and he began to sink. Now, before we become highly critical of Peter, before we begin to go, man, if I could just be a life coach for Peter, if I could just sit him down and go, Peter, okay, so you're, you're all over the place with all these things in your life. If you'll just keep your eyes on Jesus, if you'll just focus, then everything will be great. And don't, don't look at the wind, don't look at the waves. Just focus on Jesus. If, if, before we're critical of Peter, Peter's the only dude that got out of the boat. So we don't know exactly how many people are in the boat, but there's only one guy who walked on the water. There's only one guy who could sit down with his grandkids and said, okay, guys, you're not going to believe this, but your grandpa, one of these, uh, a, few, a few years ago, when, when you know, I was walking uphill in the snow both ways to school, and, and uh, Jesus called me, and I left my nets, and I followed him, and then one day we were out on the boat, and I walked on the water. He's the only guy that got that story, Right? He's the only one in that moment who stepped into a place and said, I'm going to do what is physically impossible for me to do on my own, and I'm going to come to Jesus. And I'm going to walk on the water. You see, here's what, here's what I'm so afraid of for my own life, and I'm afraid of for you. And I, I know you don't know me, but we're a lot alike in that if you're following Jesus, there are going to be times when God wants to do something incredibly powerful in your life, and if you're not careful, people in the boat are going to talk you out of doing it. And you're going to miss one of the most powerful moments that God has given you because you listen to somebody else. The only voice that we should listen to, the only eyes that we should be connected to are the eyes of Jesus. And when Jesus says, come, walk on the water, but... But look at Peter. What, what happened to him? He, he sank. He began to sink in the water. Yeah, but he had that story. You see, because here's what people in the boat say. There's safety and security in the boat. There, if, if we can just control everything, then, then we'll be safe. And, and we believe that if we can just, if, if I can just make more money, if I can just live in a certain neighborhood, if I can pick the right spouse, if I can have the right job, if I can have this greatest experience, if I can just do that next big thing, then I'll be safe. You know that's a crock, right? I mean, I don't know if any of you are saving for your retirement, but just look at a history over the last couple of years. Do you think your money's secure? I mean, look, look at jobs. How many people do you know who have lost their job for absolutely no bad reason? They just lost it. How many of you know of people that you thought you could rely on them and now you, you don't even know where they are? They've fallen out of your life. See, safety and security is something that we think that we can achieve by earthly things that we put on a scorecard. And I want you to know that there is nothing secure in this world other than Jesus. There's nothing else that you can trust in. There's no achievement. There's no amount of money. Listen, you can make all the money in the world, and some of the loneliest people I know have more money than they know what to do with, yet no peace in their heart. 
And you get that new car, and then somebody scratches it, or you dent it, or then you got to wash it and take care of it. And in about six months or a year, you're like looking for something else. The gadget you thought you had to have. Listen, nothing's going to bring you satisfaction like the love of your Savior. And what Peter began to understand was in that moment, safety was not in the boat. The safest place for him to be was in the presence of Jesus. Now, it looked weird because safety seemed like we'd been safe for nine, ten hours in this boat. Why in the world would I go into the storm? You go into the storm because that's where Jesus is, and wherever Jesus is, there's safety and security. I've I've really been studying and looking at Scripture. I don't find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus says, pray for you to be safe. I don't find it. We, We pray that a lot. Oh, give them safe travels. I don't think that's a bad thing. Help them have safety as they do this thing. And listen, I mean, don't go play on the highway this afternoon. I mean, have, have a brain, all right? I mean, I got kids. I taught them the road is bad. Don't, don't play in the road. You can get hit. Don't touch the stove. You'll get hurt. I want to keep them safe. But listen, I can keep my family safe, and we can miss what God wants us to be. God sometimes asks us to take a really risky step because we're fooled into thinking that safety is what we think it is when safety is really in the presence of our Savior. There's an old hymn that I grew up singing. My my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. That is so true. There's so many things that I could think that I'm safe in, but the safest place for me to be is in the presence of Jesus. So Peter, foolish Peter, crazy Peter, overzealous Peter, unpredictable Peter, say whatever you want about Peter, but there's only one dude that day that got out of the boat and onto the water and walked on water. And yes, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. And and he said what he knew was the right answer to say in that moment. He said, Lord, save me. (laughs) Rescue me. Have you ever been in that place? Boy, I have. Uh, Can I translate it into a modern phrase? God, I'm an idiot, and here I am again. Okay? I messed it up again. I don't know about you, but I don't know what what it's like to live a perfect life. I know what it's like to live a messy life. I know what it's like to try to do the right things and to come back to God with like this box full of parts. Going, uh, this was all together at one point, but I pretty much messed that up. God, can you put this all back together again? That's where Peter is. He took this huge step of faith. But he began to sink. So verse 31 could be that place where some of you who have grown up in church, you you think, well, okay, here here comes the lesson. Jesus is about to really give it to Peter. He's about to really pour it on to Peter. He's about to sit him down for this theological lecture on faith and what he should have done if he'd just done all these things. And we're going to go through a six-week class and teach you how to not do that again next time you get a chance to walk on the water. Then we're going to show you ten steps of how not to do that. That's not what Jesus does at all. Jesus, look look at your Bible. Verse 31, Jesus immediately, immediately reaches out 
and grabs him. I don't know what he did. In my mind, it's like, you know, if he's touching him, he's still standing on the water. So I kind of feel like this is a cool moment where Jesus rescues him. And, and I feel like he just looks him right in the eyes when he says what he says. He says, why? Why did you doubt? It sounds like it could be, like, really demeaning. But what I think Jesus was saying in love to Peter was, who else can you trust? It's not about that you sank. It's about that you doubted me. Because Jesus in that moment is saying, I, I got you. I'm with you. Now, I mean, it would have been a much cooler story if Peter wouldn't have sank in, in some of our minds if he had just walked out there and done everything right. But I don't know about you, but I don't know very many people who do everything right all the time. I know many more people who sink and need Jesus to rescue them. Jesus in that moment said, why did you doubt? Did you not hear me earlier? I said, I am who I am. It's me. It is I. See, if there's anything that I've learned in my 47 years of life, is that I can trust Jesus. So this morning, I want to I give you a few things, and I want to freak you out. I'm going to give you seven things, but we're going to walk through them very quickly, okay? Because I don't preach as long as Jonathan does. Um, that's, on, that's on video or something, right? I wanted to hear that. <laughs> but I want to give you seven things of why you can trust Jesus. Number one is this. Storms are a part of life. Now, the story didn't end when... when Peter was rescued. Verse 32 says that they got back in the boat and it says that Jesus calmed the storm. That's really interesting. He could have done that before. He could have made it easy water for Peter to walk on. He didn't do that. So he calms the storm. Verse 33 says that everybody in the boat did what? Worshipped him. Okay? But it's very interesting to me that Jesus did not calm the storm before he asked Peter to walk on the water. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Storms are part of life. John chapter 16, verse 33. If, if we were going to edit the Bible, which we do not, okay, very clear, we do not. But if I could take out a couple verses, John 16, 33 would be one I would take out. In this world, you will have trouble. I don't know about you, but I would like to edit that. Like, in this world, you will not have trouble. That'd be a great verse to have in the Bible, right? But in this world, you will have trouble. Things are going to happen to you. Sometimes we feel like, and we even hear from a prosperity gospel, which I want you to know is false, that says if you love Jesus enough, then nothing bad will ever happen to you. That is baloney. Bad things happen to incredibly awesome people. I mean, you all have a list. You know the things that you have been challenged with in your life. Three years ago, my in-laws were killed in a head-on car, car crash. Both of them killed all at once. It, it's horrible. Did, did, did I do something wrong? Did they do something wrong? Was God punishing them? No. Bad things happen. Storms happen. Listen, you live in South Dakota. You're going to get hail, right? I mean, I lived in Spearfish for eight years. I replaced my roof in my house that I owned four years twice. I mean, it just happens, right? Storms happen. A blizzard's going to happen. Something's going to happen in your life. Bad things are going to happen. You're going to make a mistake. Something's going to happen. Storms happen and are a part of life. You will have trouble. But, but see, the second half of that verse is what brings us hope. 
Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, this is not the end. The, the crisis you're walking through right now, I promise, is not the end. I, I love hanging out with people who are older than me. Like, just hang out with somebody who's 80. And you go, hey, this is what's going on in my life. They'll go, yeah, it'll pass. But, no, 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 listen. It's really bad, and, and I'm dealing with this and this. and Yeah, I know. It'll be okay. And I'm like, you're not hearing me. It is really bad, and, and I'm really stressed out. And, and they're, they're, Yeah, I know. Trust Jesus. Oh. Secondly, safety can be deceptive. Man. Sometimes we think that that if we could just stay in the boat, if, if we could just get the right people in the boat, and, and, and the people in the boat are, are telling us that if, if we can just achieve this or do that, that everything's going to be okay. But the safest place to be is wherever Jesus is. Hear me clearly. The safest place to be is wherever Jesus is. In the boat, great. On the water, great. In the middle of the storm, great. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. I've got to learn that no matter what the situation is, I've got to trust Jesus. Third thing, following God often looks crazy. Now hear me respectfully. God's not crazy. But sometimes the things he asks us to do looks crazy. You see, steps of faith rarely make sense to the world or even to other believers as the, as the best path that we should take. If I think about the times in my life when, when I did what God told me to do, it very often looked crazy. You see, about nine years ago, eight and a half years ago, I was minding my business, pastoring a church in Texas, and God said, I want you to move to South Dakota, and I want you to plant a church in Spearfish that will plant other churches. And, and it's not going to make sense to a lot of people, but if you'll just follow me, then something incredible will happen. And whether you know it or not, that's why you're here. Not because of me, but because God said, I want you to follow me. And because of that, Connection Church Sioux Falls is here. And there have been people who have come to Christ because of the work of this church. And there are people who are growing in their faith because of the work of this church. What if, what if I'd have said, I, and I'm telling you, I had people who sat down with me and said, Doug, don't move to, where, where is South Dakota? I mean, it's like up there somewhere. Is that where they're pumping oil? Does everybody say that here? They're like, no, that's North Dakota. We're not North Dakota. It's two states. And, you know, I always have to explain it to them. But I look back and I think, if I'd have listened to people who were saying, it's crazy, don't do it, I'd have missed, I promise, the best years that I have lived to this point. To follow God, it often, mean, often means you've got to step out of a place that you feel safe. But really, the safest place is with Jesus. Number four, keep your eyes on Jesus. Peter only began to sink when he took his eyes off of Jesus. And so you and I, when, when we're walking daily in our, in our life, where we're 
at our job, if we're at school, or wherever we're doing, no matter where you are, whether, when you're engaged with people, when you're by yourself, whatever's going on in your life, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. Because I don't know about you, but the times in my life when I do the wrong things are not when I am, have my eyes on Jesus. In fact, here's my guess, and I don't know anything about uh, what happens here on Sunday, but my guess is there's not a lot of cussing that goes on here on Sunday morning, Right? I mean, some of you who, who may say the wrong things at certain times are able to clean up your language when you step into this building, right? I mean, nobody's out there cussing a blue streak like a sailor in the, in the lobby. You're not telling dirty jokes outside. Uh, you're not struggling with an addiction uh, in this moment, in this place. Why? Because you're focused. You're, you're, you're in a room full of accountability, Right? You're in a place where you know that other people are doing the same thing as you. And so you're able to clean up the things that you struggle with for at least a couple hours on Sunday morning. It's when I am not accountable. It's when I am not around the right people. It's when I let myself go. It's when I take my eyes off of Jesus that I begin to sink. So we have to focus. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. For most of us, we feel more of that moment than any other when we're desperate, when we're overwhelmed by sin, when we're overwhelmed by guilt, when we're thinking about where, where we've messed up and where we've made mistakes and Satan just kicks us right in the teeth. Because listen, man, he knows exactly who you are and he knows exactly how to pull you down. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Number five, trust in Christ alone. There's no one else that you can trust as much as you can trust Jesus. I, I pray for you that you have some people in your life who you can trust. I pray that there's some people that you are, are close to that you can build a relationship with because here's what I believe about the walk with Christ. This is a whole nother sermon, but you cannot trust your own heart. You need to be accountable to someone. You need someone in your life that you can trust, that you can be honest with, you can say, here's what I'm struggling with, here's where I need you to help me. You cannot trust your heart. You need somebody else in that. But more than them, more than that safest person that you know in this world, the most important thing that you need to do is trust Jesus. Because when you fall, you can call them second, but you better call out to Jesus first. When, you're, when you make the mistake, please don't, Fool yourself into thinking that Jesus doesn't know. We don't confess our sins to Jesus because he's like, oh my gosh, you did what? He knows it's the action of submission of our heart saying, you're in charge of me. I trust you most. And me being honest with you helps me get past this place in my heart. He's not pleased when you sin but he will rescue you every time. I mean, sometimes, and this is why we're not God. If, if we were God and Peter fell in the water, we might go, bro, see, I told you, you're crazy. We might want to lecture him. We might want to push him down. That's not what Jesus did. Scripture says immediately Jesus pulled him up, and Jesus will do that for you. You're not going to surprise Jesus. You, you, everybody else may think that your marriage is okay, Everybody else may think you've got your life all put together. Everybody else may think that, that you're doing good. Let me just tell you something. Your temperature is not based upon your Instagram posts. That's not your real life. We don't take a picture of ourselves when everything's crappy. 
We, we don't have a fight with our boyfriend or girlfriend, husband, wife, and go, let's take a picture while we're mad at each other. We, we don't take a picture when we're screaming at our kids. We don't take a picture when we're mad at our boss. We don't take a picture when we're dealing with that addiction, right? If we really did that, <laughs> you think social media is bad now. If we started doing that, it'd be a mess, right? You're not going to surprise God. He, he loves you so much. He's not pleased when you sin, but you're not going to surprise him. He already knows. Number six. When Jesus got in the boat, I love what they did. It said, in that moment, Jesus had proved who he was. and They worshipped him and said, you are the Son of God. If there were some doubters before that, in that moment, I don't know what they did. In, my, in our minds, we're like, they probably sang a song, you know, um, and, and that's probably not what really happened. It says they worshipped him. I mean, in my mind, it's almost like bow to the king. You, you are the son of God. And sometimes I don't think we bow enough. We stand up as if we own the moment. When you're in the presence of a mighty God, you need to recognize that there is only one source, and that is Jesus. There is only one who can forgive, and that is Jesus. There's only one hope, and that is Jesus. Lastly, don't miss the biggest part of this. Only one guy got this story. And if I can package something up for you today, for you to take out of here and live, it's this. Peter trusted Jesus. Everybody else was just a spectator. In that moment, Peter recognized that safety is not where everybody has told me it is. The safest place for me to be is in the presence of Jesus. And, and if you and I would just turn off what everybody else is telling us, if, we, if we'll just turn off what, what everybody else is trying to feed us of what our life should be, what our life plan should be, what we need to look like, how we need to dress, the places we need to go, the things that we need to be a part of, if we can just for a moment begin to turn that stuff off and if we can just focus our eyes on Jesus, we can be like Peter and there will be moments in your life when God's going to say, I know this sounds crazy, I know you're not going to understand everything, it's going to be a step in the dark and you don't know the next two steps, you don't even know the next next step i'm going to ask you just to take my hand and to trust me but if you'll step out of the boat the most powerful amazing god moment you've ever dreamed in your life is going to happen and if you do that it'll change your life forever some of you have stepped up to the edge of the boat and god has said just take a step out and you're like "Mm, i don't think so and Jesus has said, but, but if you just step out, then amazing things. I, I'm going to show you a, a side of me that you've never even comprehended. And you're like, mm, I don't know. Can you tell me what it's going to look like? Can you show me a plan? And Jesus just says, trust me. For some of you who have never done that, let me tell you something. That's the greatest loss of your life. But I want to challenge you. This is what I believe about Jesus. He is a God of second chances. Man, if he wasn't, we'd all be 
You know, if Jesus, like, struck down people with lightning for real, we'd all be dead. I mean, I don't know about you, but I just see a lot of, I'm stupid, and I hate to say this, but you make stupid decisions, and if God struck down stupid people, we'd all be dead, right? Here's what Jesus wants to do, is he wants to give you the opportunity today to step out of the boat. I don't know what it is. For you, it's going to be different than you. For you, it's going to be different than you. But God wants to give you the opportunity to step into a place of faith that you've never even thought of. You see, the prayer of my life has become this. God, I pray that you would do things that are greater than me so that I always know it's you at work and not me. That you're doing powerful works in my life that I can't take credit for. And then when I take steps of faith, all I can do is be like those people on the boat and be overwhelmed and say, you are the Son of Jesus, I thank you for how your word just speaks so clearly. And God, I, man, I, I am so sorry that there have been times that you have called me to step out of the boat and I have been afraid and I have been uncertain and I have been reluctant to trust you. And Lord, I just know I'm not alone. And I know that there are men and women in this room today who have experienced that same thing. And God, we ask forgiveness for that. And we just ask today that you would give us that opportunity again. Lord, for some people in this room, their, their marriage is in trouble. And the step of faith that they need to take is going, I'm not giving up. I'm going to take one more shot at this. I'm going to give everything I can. I'm going to love Jesus with all my heart and I'm going to go to my spouse and say, listen, I, everything that is a mess, I want to try to fix because I love Jesus and I love you. For some people, they, they need to change where they are. They need to change who they're around. They need to clean up what's going on in their life. There's an addiction. There's a problem. There's anger. There's, there's some sort of sin that is holding them back from experiencing you in a powerful way. And they need to just turn that over to you and say, Jesus, I trust you. And so, Father, I pray today in this room that you would just allow us to see men, women, young adults, teenagers, stepping out of the boat on the uncertainty of unknown waters with their eyes focused on Jesus and that, Lord, miracles might happen in this place. Lord, I pray most of all that if there's someone here today who does not know you as personal Lord and Savior, that they've never experienced what it means to walk with Jesus, to know the forgiveness of their sins, to understand the power of the cross, that this would be the day that they decide, today's my day. And I'm stepping out of the boat of where I've been, and I'm focusing my eyes on the cross and on Jesus, and today I make my step towards salvation in Christ alone. Lord, we thank you that you offer that to us. Lord, that you call us to yourself. Lord, I pray that if you're calling someone this morning to choose Jesus, Lord, that we would be bold, that we would take a step of faith, and that we would do that right now. We love you. We thank you that the gospel is 
true. We thank you that it has made a difference in our lives. And Lord, may we reflect that in everything that we say and do this day. In Jesus' name I pray.